0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. Uh, Still unable to get a hold of uh, Pastor Martins in South Africa. Uh, If uh, Bram or any other people from South Africa who uh, are closer to him can let us know uh, if he's all right. Haven't heard from him in the last two weeks, so I'm hoping it's okay. And uh, usually I get a hold of him in the morning. And uh, start setting up the show, but I haven't been able to do that the last couple of weeks. So I'm just going to go ahead and do what we were planning on, which is uh, from the Ensign message: Israelites in South Africa, because you know the the South Africans, the whites, the Caucasians of South Southern Africa, uh, who founded uh, the country down there, and of course the Transvaal and the Orange Free State. Uh, Etc. were Boers of primarily German ancestry. But uh, this article talks about the various other white Caucasian people. And we're not counting the Afrikaners, because the Afrikaners are in a separate category. They are in the category of having Jewish blood, <laughs> okay? They're actually the employees of the, first of all, the, the Cape Dutch company, the uh, the, uh, the Dutch East India Company, and then later the British East India Company, which took over from the Dutch, uh, basically Jewish operations, Jewish mafia-type organizations that uh, took over countries, uh, opium trade, uh, tea trade, and everything, monopolizing those trades as much as possible, etc., so the Afrikaners, the Cape Dutch Afrikaners, are actually in that category having Edomite blood. So, and uh, th- this is a message that Pastor Martins has been giving here since, what, e- even before 2014. Because uh, I remember when I was on, oh, what was that network? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's still on, uh, a radio network has a separate uh, station that I had a show on on Thursday, I'm sorry, on Saturday, Saturday mornings, and Revolution Radio, that's what it was. And uh, I had Pastor Martin's on that network on my shows there several times, probably even a couple years before 2014. So that's how we got to know each other. And then he invited me down to South Africa in 2014. And while I was preparing to go down there, he had a visitation from an angel like a month or two before I actually arrived. And this angel told him, hey, hey, David, there's a difference between the Boers and the the Afrikaners. There's a difference. And so he didn't even realize that until the point where I went to visit him. And I said, wow, well, this changes the message, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay, because I had always assumed, and most people do, assume, that the Afrikaners and the Boer people are the same. They're not. They're not. They have different origins. So uh, that was the message that he gave to me. And then the first thing he did when we uh, went to the uh, Blood River Festival, yeah, Nighthawk, yeah, he was the owner of that. He was the owner of uh, Revolution Radio. And uh, so his his even his perception of the struggle between the boers and and uh, the jews which we all know there was a struggle between the boers and the jews but he didn't realize that the afrikaners are are more in the camp of the jews so when we got to blood river he looked at the flag that was flying there and realized hey that's not the boer flag that's some other flag <laughs> okay uh, he said uh, the first thing we did after we set up our camp, we went over there and he protested that you're flying the wrong flag. You have changed the colors of the Boer flag to something else, okay? And uh, so this really aggravated him tremendously because, well, he realized by that point that, hey, the angel was right. They're tampering with our symbols, <laughs> right? As the Jews love to do. Anyway, the... So what we're going to talk about today is exactly these people, these Boer people, and who they really are. Okay, this is from the Ensign Message, and this is Israelites in Southern Africa by Mikkel Sternholm Krag from Denmark. We've been doing a lot of shows of uh, Northern Europeans, especially from the Baltic area, and how they're waking up to the identity message and waking up to the Jewish question as well, so that's a really good thing that's a really good thing And every Boer should be fully aware of the Jewish question and who the real enemy is, and uh, the Jewish people are not Israel by any means, and every Boer should know that every Christian should know that and by the way, you know they're getting ready to uh, i have to I have to laugh because they're talking about this red heifer nonsense, that the uh, that the red heifer, when the red heifer appears, then the third temple will be built. Well, there's, there's no prophecy in the Bible about a red heifer. There's no prophecy in the Bible about a third temple. We are the temple. That's clearly what our Bible says. But the Jews don't use our Bible. They use the Talmud, and then they read the Torah through Talmudic eyes, which means that they distort it tremendously. So you cannot trust anything coming from the lips of a Jew. There's the occasional renegade like Benjamin Friedman. And and there's Jews who, let's say, atheist Jews who realize that the Judaism, nothing but fairy tales, and they come out and say so like a Shlomo Sandy invention of the Jewish people. So there's a lot of Jews like that, but they don't believe in the Bible either, nor should they because the Bible's not for them anyhow. Okay. So the subtitle here is Zebulun with Issachar, Judah, Levi, Reuben, and Ephraim. Okay. As I think by Judah, he probably means Germans. We'll find out because a lot of, British Israel writings counts the Germans out as non-Israelites saying they're Assyrians or something. But uh, not all of them do. But this is the official stance of the British Israel World Foundation, well, federation rather, uh, headquartered in London. So let's listen to what uh, Michael Sternholm Krag has to say. Quote, The white people of southern Africa are descendants of several different tribes of Israel. Amazing end-time prophecies in the Bible tells us that the God-fearing remnant of Israelites will remain in Southern Africa. Next, first heading here, whites in Southern Africa. There are two large groups of whites in Southern Africa, approximately 3.5 million Afrikaans-speaking whites and approximately 2 million English-speaking whites. So I would say the Afrikaans-speaking whites would be the Boer people, And all of these tribes that he has mentioned here, Zebulon, Issachar, Judah, Levi, Reuben, and Ephraim, and probably a few others, but primarily Judah from Germany, and maybe Judah from Britain as well. So 3.5, and then uh, 2 million English-speaking whites. So those would be the Judahites or Anglo-Saxons from England. The Afrikaners, let's see what he has to say the first Dutch settled in the Cape Colony on 6 April 1652 under Jan van Riebeck, who is considered the father of the Afrikaner people. Today, there are some 3,500,000 Afrikaners. Afrikaners today used to describe all white Afrikaans-speaking people of Cape Dutch origin and Boer origin. But see, he makes a difference just by putting the word and between Cape Dutch And Boer, (laughs) he's making a difference here. They're not the same. The Afrikaners are primarily descended from Dutch Calvinists and secondarily from Frisians, Germans, and French Huguenots. But he fails to mention that the main genome of Afrikaners is the Jewish because it's the Jews who controlled the trade and the ships, owned the ships, and they had Jewish... uh, people directing all, all of this travel. And, of course, Jan van Riebeck, I'm pretty sure Pastor Martens has uh, expressed this opinion that van Riebeck himself was a Dutch Jew. Certainly he was working for Dutch Jews in the Dutch East India Company. So the Dutch East India Company, with all of its hands, whether they be ship hands or tax collectors or... Uh, record keepers, money money counters, etc., that arrived down there in South Africa with those Dutch ships. Those are the predecessors of the Afrikaners. Not not these Germans he's talking about, not these others. Those others count as Boers. So let's continue. I'll just start this sentence over. The Afrikaners are primarily descended from Dutch Calvinists and secondarily from Frisians... Germans, and French Huguenots. Smaller groups of other Europeans have also migrated to South Africa and become Afrikaners, such as Scandinavians, Scots, Irish, Greeks, Portuguese, Spaniards, and Italians. Most of the approximately 150,000 whites in Namibia also speak Afrikaans. I think Namibia is formerly known as Rhodesia. So I wouldn't uh, be so quick to call these people Afrikaners, you know, they're English speaking, <laughs> it's it probably correct, it must be a third category, they're not Boer exactly, because the Boer people were the ones of primarily German origin, the original settlers, okay, and the vast majority of these settlers were in fact farmers, but the later arrivals from england scandinavia scots irish et cetera were not necessarily farmers they, they arrived later and took positions in the society in the cities and not on the farms okay but nevertheless these people i would consider them more as boers than as afrikaners because as pastor martins has explained to us the afrikaners are primarily descended from the cape dutch dutch jewish origin So we have to keep that in mind when we're talking about, you know, the the white population of South Africa. Boers are totally different from Afrikaners, okay? So maybe he's counting, you know, these other white Europeans, and there aren't that many of them in comparison to the Boers and the original Cape Dutch. So the the English-speaking ones would be uh, later arrivals, and who are are essentially have always been the enemies of the German Dutch Boers, okay? And uh, as Pastor Martin has explained, they have falsely labeled Dutch because they got on Dutch ships. They got on Dutch ships in Holland, <laughs> okay? And, but they were primarily Germans trying to escape the. 30 years war, 100 years war, 500 years war, and essentially the struggles between the Calvinists and the Catholic Church, okay, which you were damned if you joined one and damned if you joined the other. That's how the Boer people felt about it, and that's how, that's how these Germans felt about it, and that's why they left, okay, to escape the war. Next heading, Dutch and Frisian Afrikaners of Zebulon and Issachar. The Dutch are mainly of the tribe of Zebulun. See Holland identified with Zebulun. Who was Zebulon? And there's a book uh, he's got pictured here, Strange Parallel. Zebulon, The Netherlands, A Tribe of Israel by Helen Kopion. I've got that book. It's a very excellent read. Uh, I think, uh, well, it's available online. Just search for it online and you should be get a, able to get a copy very easily. Since the Afrikaners primarily are descended from the Dutch... No, he's wrong. It's primarily descended from the Germans. As I just said, this is a mistake most people make. Is Germans getting on Dutch ships, therefore falsely identified as Dutch? We would expect them to have characteristics of the tribe of and Certainly some of them do. And, and uh, the tribe of Zebulun is all different from the Germans. They just landed at a tribe of their own, and they were on more of the coastal area where Germany is primarily inland and has a small coastal area in the north, on the North Sea, along with the other uh, Baltic nations. Okay? So, let's continue. Many Afrikaners are descended from Frisians. Some people who study the tribes of Israel believe that the Frisians are the tribe of Issachar, which was closely connected to Zebulon, because Issachar and Zebulon were Leah's two last-born sons. And so there's another article here being referenced by Brett Otten, O-T-T-E-N, Frisians, Sons of Issachar, which is a work I'm not familiar with. That looks like an interesting read as well. Moses blessed Zebulon and Issachar thus, quote, And of Zebulon he said, Rejoice, Zebulon, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. They shall call the people unto the mountains." There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures hid in the sand. Deuteronomy 33:18 through 19. So that, that certainly describes Holland, no doubt about that. And I'm not exactly sure what the treasures hid in the sand may be uh, seashells. <laughs> I don't think it means tulips. Could be tulips. They don't grow in the sand, they grow in dirt, okay? And we have also identified uh, Finland with Issachar as well. Continuing, this prophecy is fulfilled in the fact, of course, Finland being named after the Phoenicians, the Phoenicians being Israelites. This prophecy is fulfilled in the fact that South Africa has one of the world's largest mining industries. Okay, treasures in the sand, okay. South Africa is one of the countries which produce the most diamonds. South Africa also has the re- second largest production of gold in the world. Is America still number one? <laughs> or, or have we fallen out of that category? Or 15% of the world's production. In 1993, it was 30%. South Africa is the largest producer in the world of chrome, magnesium, manganese, platinum, vanadium, And zermiculite, which I don't know what that is, zermiculite. Southern Africa, it sounds like something they put in your teeth (laughs) as a filling. South Africa also had the second largest production of ilmenite, aladium, rutile, and zirconium. Wow, Uh, three of those, uh, four I've never heard of. The South African mining industry was established after the Dutch and Frisians left the Netherlands by ship. And he quotes, Rejoice, Zebulon, in going out. Well, it's obvious that the Zebulonites were great uh, travelers, seafarers, as just about all the tribes were. Even the Anglo-Saxons were, uh, were known as marauders, in, in ships, just like the Danes were, just like the Vikings were, the tribe of Benjamin also who had the uh, sea wolves. They also were marauders in ships, just like the Vikings. So there were a lot of our ancestors were sea wolves, Vikings, and also the Icelanders. Again, we're we're talking the Israelites were a great seafaring nation. Virtually every tribe. Abode in ships to a great extent, Dan being the most prevalent in that category. And they're the ones, it was during the uh, territory of the tribe of Dan that Tyre began. But Tyre, uh, they also had Jewish businessmen running the show there. <laughs> that uh, That's why Tyre, uh, abo- uh, Dan abode in ships and Tyre put them to work. Okay? That's the story of that. So most. Uh, Most chroniclers falsely believe that the Phoenicians were non-Israelites. No, the Phoenicians were Israelites. Well, let's continue. And this prophecy is confirmed in the fact that most of the South African mining industry is found in inland South Africa, far from the sea. So what does that have to do with sand? Oh, you can find sand far inland in just about any any nation, okay? Like uh, here in America, The sand dunes of the Great Lakes. (laughs) You talk about sand dunes. Fortunately, the Great Lakes are fresh water, so you have a lot of vegetation growing around them. Unlike the Sahara, there's no freshwater lakes. If you're lucky, you'll run into a a a small island of growth due to a a well that was dug or a spring maybe popping up here and there, but uh, very rare. And of course, in America, we have vast deserts far out west with hardly any water at all so sand galore in most of our israelite nations quoting again for they shall suck of the abundance of the seas and of the treasures his in the sand or i think it should say hidden in the sand jacob blessed Zebulun thus quote zebulon shall dwell at the haven of the sea and he shall be for an haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. There you go. There's Zidon. There's Tyre. Okay, so Zebulon and Dan were at the borders of Tyre and comprised the the ship, uh, the sailors of the Phoenicians who sprang from Tyre. And of course, here again, the secular... Historians have falsely called Hebrew a a version of Phoenician. That's not possible because the Hebrew language existed for thousands of years before Tyre existed, and Tyre is the origin of the Phoenician legends, okay? Phoenicia being the the color of a mollusk that produces this purple dye. So that's, that's where the name Phoenicia comes from. And the Israelites were the ones who took advantage of that purple dye. So since the Hebrews populated the coast of the Mediterranean there, coast of Palestine, only then did the Phoenician Empire begin. And it began with uh, Hiram, who was actually a Yahweh-worshipping individual. It degenerated fast, though, because the ten northern tribes became pagans. Once the ten northern tribes became pagans, then Phoenicia would naturally follow suit. And of course, Jezebel was one of those people. Her daddy was a Tyrian authority. So was Jezebel a Canaanite or was she an Israelite? Well, she could have been either. And I've concluded she was an Israelite but she might have had uh, Canaanite blood too because one of the things that the 10 northern tribes did a lot of was engage in these Canaanite practices and you can hardly do Canaanite practices without learning it from the Canaanites, right? So there must have been some race mixing going on up there and that's why Yahweh banished these 10 northern tribes into Europe to stop us from engaging in those activities. And it took over a 1,000 years before these tribes began shedding their pagan origins, their pagan habits, okay? Like uh, adorning Christmas trees, which the book of Jeremiah tells us we shouldn't be doing. All right, let's continue. Let me repeat this. This is a very important prophecy because it gives us, first of all, the Phoenicians, since they were... uh, Zebulonites, Danites, Issacharites, etc., they populated Europe from the sea. Other Israelites populated Europe through the Caucasus Mountains, namely the Anglo-Saxons, and many members of all the tribes, in fact, all 12 tribes were captive to the Assyrians and eventually crossed the Caucasus Mountains either through the Caucasus or through the coast of the Black Sea, And the uh, Sea of Azov, not the the Black Sea, the one on the other side of the Caucasus Mountains, the, the name of that sea escapes me at the moment. This prophecy is for the Afrikaners, part fulfilled in the fact that the Afrikaner people started with the founding of the Cape Colony, which originally was built as a resupply point and a way station for ships of the Dutch East India Company, Sailing between the Netherlands and the Dutch East Indies. Okay, very good. So the question is how many of the people aboard those ships were Jews and how many of those people were actually Israelites? So here we see, you can see the Cape Dutch uh, business. The Dutch East India Company was just a continuation of the Phoenician trade. (laughs) Right? The Phoenician trade was run by Canaanite banksters. Okay? And uh, it's easy to get paganized Israelites if you pay them well enough. Right? Just give them something to do. Hey, we can row boats. Tell us where to go. Pay us well and and we'll we'll be your employees. So the connection here between the Phoenicians and the, the Dutch East India Company is actually quite similar. Quite similar. And so here, in this article, he has two symbols. I'll just read above. The coat of arms and the flag of the Fiercler of the South African Republic. Sud-Africanische Republik. Now, I think, however, that this is the, the false, one of the false republics created by the Afrikaners. In the name of the Boer people, and uh, Pastor uh, Martins would be able to clarify that when he returns, but he continues, he says, A Boer national state, which covered the later Transvaal province and was independent 1856 to 1877. Not a very long time, only 21 years. And 1881 to 1902. Now, I believe it's in this era, the 1881 to 1902, that the Afrikaners created a false a false union of uh, of Boers with with Afrikaners, and the the Boer people were duped into this, thinking it was going to be a strictly boer nation, and it turned out not to be so the coat of arms displayed symbols of the four Israelite camps, numbers two. The man, Reuben, okay, it's very small (laughs) in this emblem here. It's it's capped with an eagle. It's got red, white, and blue. Actually, red and blue, not so much white. White is just the background, unless the spaces between the red and the blue is white. But actually, the flag down below is, is red, white, and blue, okay? A Boer National State which covered the later Transvaal province and was independent. The coat of arms displays symbols of the four Israelite camps, Numbers 2, the man, Reuben, in Genesis 49.3, the lion, Judah, Genesis 49.9, the bull, Ephraim, Deuteronomy 33.17, and the eagle, Dan, Revelation 4.7. And that flag is green, a vertical green stripe on the left and red, white, and blue going top to bottom. German Afrikaners of Judah and Levi. Now, I'm still liking this article because they include the Germans as Judah, which most of the British Israelite of modern times have neglected to do and falsely claim that the Germans are Assyrians, but they had to do that because England was fighting against Germany during World War One and World War II. And so they had to change their tune and claim that the Germans are not Israelites at all, but are Assyrians. Okay, But even there, the, the Danes, the Vikings, wh- where did we come from? We all came from Assyria. <laughs> all 12 tribes were captive to the Assyrians. Asgard, as our pagan relatives some of them are still pagan, declare they came from Asgard. Well, that's where we came from, Assyria, okay? And uh, the various place names and even the language, which is, oh, uh, I'm trying to think. It's a form of Assyrian that is so remarkably close to German, they're virtually the same, okay? So these, these connections of our people, to assyria and of course to mesopotamia and a sussex man says vermiculite is a mica-like mineral that serves as a soil amendment it is mined out of the ground exfoliated treated with extreme heat and pressure to force it to expand The resulting worm-like curly appearance is responsible for its name. Oh, it sounds like (laughs) COVID-19, which comes from the Latin vermiculus, meaning insect larva. Yeah, it is. It is. It is like COVID-19. From the Latin vermis, vermin, meaning worm. Okay. (laughs) Too many connections here with COVID-19. All right. Uh, the amendment should be ameliorant, okay, something which ameliorates the uh, toxicity of something. Oh, Caspian Sea, thank you Bavaria. that's the other side of the Caucasus Mountains. So we have the Black Sea on the west, the Caspian Sea on the east. and the Israelites either went up across the Caucasus Mountains or to the left on the border of the Black Sea or on the right going north on the border. Of the Caspian Sea. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Very good. We got our uh, geography correct. So let's get back to the article. And it tells us. Again, the heading is German Afrikaners of Judah and Levi. The German word for Levi is Ludwig. And the English word for Levi is Levi. (laughs) Many Germans have become a part of the Afrikaners which generally are a pro-German people. Well, here again, uh, I think Pastor Martins would disagree. He would say the Afrikaners are pretend Boers, pretend Boers. And the later arriving British, English-speaking peoples, would have attached themselves to the Afrikaners rather than to the Boers because they were city dwellers, office clerks, Military people, etc., not farmers. I'm pretty sure that, that the Boer people, the ones who are strictly farmers, are Germans of German descent. But let's continue. Germany is made up of several Israelite tribes, including Reuben, Reuben the Franks, Simeon and Levi, Bavarians, Alemannians, and Swabians. That's my heritage, the Danube Swabians who have been living in that area ever since the 12 tribes migrated across the Caucasus Mountains and began sailing up the Danube River through the Black Sea. Judah, Saxons, Saka, 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 the southern Germans call themselves Saxe Saxons, and Gad, eastern Germany. The German elements in South Africa must, however, be primarily of Judah and Levi, because South Africa fulfills prophecies about the kingdom of Judah, which ended in 587 BC. Well, not exactly. It didn't end because they came back from the Babylonian captivity to carry on. Because somebody, Judahites had to be there in order to give birth to Christ, right? Okay. So, okay, I'm not going to be too harsh. He he is actually a. Um, from the northern pagan country, <laughs> even though, he, he was he a Norwegian or a Dane? I forget what he said he is. But uh, he's definitely an Israelite from one of those countries. So he doesn't know our history as well as we do, but he's giving it a, a really good shot here. And uh, we have to include the return from Babylon, uh, which, of course, the Judahites became the kingdom of uh, the Pharaoh's Judahites, known as Parthia, which was the last Israelite nation to die off in the Middle East. And they just migrated across, uh, like, like their four tribes, into Europe and became known as the Angles and the Saxons and Germans. Okay. And who eventually landed on the British shores, yeah, creating sores for the Brits. <laughs> and after a brief skirmish between the Anglo-Saxons and the British, who were the Celtic version of our race, uh, they finally integrated and created the British Empire. Okay, so that's how that went. Uh, but then he does talk about the Babylonians because, because South Africa fulfills prophecies about the kingdom of Judah, which he says ended in 587 B.C., when the Babylonians deported many Judahites, Benjamites, and Levites to Babylon. However, if he doesn't talk about the 42,000 who came back from Babylon to reestablish the kingdom of Judah, then you know he's missing a big part of the story. But let's continue. When the Israelites continually sinned and broke the law of Moses, God would eventually punish them for 2,520 years, seven times or seven times 360 years. And then... Okay, that's in Leviticus 26. I don't think he mentions the source of that prophecy. That's Leviticus 26, the seven times punishment. And then God's time of punishment would be lifted. And of course, we know that was lifted in 1776 AD right here in America because the first tribe to actually be deported was the tribe of Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh, which dwelt on the eastern side of the Jordan River, They were the first ones to be deported by the Assyrians in the year 745 B.C. So you take 745 B.C., add 2,520, and you get 1775. But just remember, there's no year zero, so you have to add one year, and you get 1776. Voila! The birth year of America. The Kingdom of Judah started its 2,520 years of punishment in 587 B.C., Okay, well, that is that is correct because there was a prophecy, a 2,520-year prophecy fulfilled from that point at the Babylonian captivity. But uh, he, he neglects to inform the readers that uh, many of those Judahites came back into Judah, the land of Judah, later on. And it ended in 1934 A.D. Now, uh, somebody do the math for me, please. Because there, maybe there was an earlier deportation, like 609 B.C. As I recall, 609 B.C. is an important date also, which I think results in 1917, or actually 1914, the year that World War I ended, the year that the British re- retook Palestine from the Turks. That prophecy also dates back to the Babylonian era. So there's there's a number of prophecies of uh, Judah's and Israel's past. When you add 2,520 years, well, wind up being very important dates in our recent history. Okay, uh, Primarily, though, the 1776 prophecy. And he says it ended in 1934 A.D. Uh, what happened in 1934 A.D.? uh i'm not i don't think anything major happened for any of our nations in 1930 birth year oh yeah don't forget the birth year of the illuminati that was also 1776 yes and that fulfills the prophecy in revelation chapter 12 when it says that the dragon is waiting for the child to be delivered well that happened in 2 BC when Yahshua Messiah was born, but it also happened, yeah, as you point out, Urban Goy, it happened when the Illuminati tried to nip America in the bud by trying to eat us alive, but our people rebelled against that eating alive through the British Empire. And of course, you know, their king was actually a German. <laughs> so we are we are often the authors of our own uh demise very often the authors uh, George III was in fact a German and so was uh, Queen Victoria, she was descendant of King George III so yeah, very good Urban Goy thanks for reminding me of that, very important yeah, so the 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 Wickewans always copy Israel, they always pretend to be us they always pretend to be us and they're still doing that today with great relish kosher relish, I might add. So, but we're, we're slowly beginning to awaken the world to who the Jews really are and who Israel really is. Okay, so very good. So, he brings up the seven, uh, 20, the seven times prophecy, but he doesn't uh, provide any source for that prophecy whatsoever. So, this is really a gloss type of article. Uh, Okay, so anybody, what happened in 1934? <laughs> anybody know? Did, uh, did one of the Israelite tribes accomplish something big in 1934? I know the, the uh, Rothschilds declared war, economic war, against Germany in 1933. Did something happen in Germany in 1934 that was more significant? Did, uh, did Hitler come to power? No, he came to power before that. So I don't know what the year 34 means here in this context. Shortly after on 26 May 1948 the Afrikaner dominated National Party won the elections and established the apartheid system. Okay, the Afrikaner dominated party that was that was primarily Cape Dutch Jews so, of course, everybody blames the Boer people for the apartheid system, but was that this was actually established by the Cape Dutch. Dr. D. F. Malan, who became prime minister in 1948, basically declared the Afrikaners independence from the British when he said, speaking of the Afrikaners, today South Africa belongs to us once more. South Africa is our own for the first time since Union, And may God grant that it will always remain our own. Unfortunately, I'm assuming now that D.F. Milan was a boar, not an Afrikaner. And, of course, his hope was not fulfilled. We know that eventually it will be fulfilled. When Milan said that South Africa belonged to the Afrikaners, he did not have the white-black struggle in mind, but the rivalry between the Afrikaner and the English. Okay. Okay. So, was Milan a Boer, or was he a Cape Dutch Afrikaner, or was he British? (laughs) In 1961, the Union of South Africa left the British Commonwealth and became the entirely independent republic of South Africa. But it is this Union of South Africa, which Pastor Martins has stated many times, was actually instigated by the Afrikaners in order to take the Boer lands away from the Boer people, So this Union of South Africa was a stab in the back against the Boer people by the Cape Dutch. Let's continue. The Afrikaners have many things in common with the Jews. (laughs) Oh, there you go. The Jewish state was founded when David Ben-Gurion declared his independence from the British Mandate of Palestine on 14 May 1948. Okay, so... Again, the connection between the Afrikaners. So it was in 26 May 1948 that the, dom- the Afrikaner-dominated National Party won the elections and established the Apartheid State. Well, the Jews established their Apartheid State also in Israel. Isn't that fascinating? Or Well, it's certainly not a coincidence, not in my mind. The Afrikaners and the Jews thus got their national states at the same time. Very good. Thank you. And they both seceded from the British administration. This is, of course, not a coincidence. Thank you very much. Oh, I got to cite the author. That's excellent. Mikkel Sternholm Krag from Denmark. That was outstanding. Show some real uh, Jew savviness there. Understanding the difference between Boers and Afrikaners. Just as as we have been stressing the difference between Judahites and Jews, they are not the same. Now he says here, a big mistake the Jews represent a part of Judah, even though the Edomites, many of the Khazars, and many other people have become Jews. No, the Jews have never been part of Judah. The Jews have never. Again, it's a terminology issue that most Christians today still use the term Jew to refer to the ancient kingdom of Judah. There was no such thing as a Jew. There were Judahites, yes, but Jews, no. The Jews today stem from the Edomites, which he is uh, also saying here, so he's got partly correct here. Even though the Edomites, many of the Khazars and many other people have become Jews, yes. The Jewish genome is the most miscegenated of all peoples on the face of the earth. So they can't be German. They can't be British. They can't be Israelite. They can't be Judahite. They are their own genome of mixed race people. And they know it. They absolutely know it. But they pretend to be Israel. Then he says, both the Afrikaners and the Jews must therefore represent the descendants of the kingdom of Judah of the Old Testament. no. Uh, I wish Pastor Martins were here to clarify all this, but my knowledge of the situation, that the Afrikaners are the descendants of the Cape Dutch and the Dutch East India Company, who enslaved the Boer people, and the Boer people had to leave to get away from the Afrikaners, no, they are not descendants of Judah. Period. They're not descendants of Judah. Judea is another story because Judea had Edomites in it as well. And those Edomites were the ones who who were pretending to be Judah and enslaved Judah then with the help of the Romans, okay? So you have to really know a lot of history to get all this straight. So he says, the Jews obviously represent those Judahites which remained in Judea for the most part And for the most part rejected Jesus Christ. Now it is possible that some Judahites remained in Judea and became allies of the Jews. That's quite possible. Because a lot of the Judahites were really reluctant to give up circumcision. Were really reluctant to give up the the sacrificial law. So that's quite possible. But that was 2,000 years ago. The Judahite bloodline in that strain of Jews would be virtually nil <laughs> today. Just as the Edomite Jews, who were confronted by Joshua in chapter 8 of John, said, We be not born of fornication, we were never in bondage to any man. Oh, really? Edomite? <laughs> So he continues, the Judah element among the Afrikaners must, however, represent those Judahites which were deported to Babylon in 587 BC but did not return to to Judea. Again, I have to correct him on this. The Judahites who returned from Babylon were pure-blooded Judahites. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah clearly tell us that they were pure-blooded and they kicked out all of the non-Judahite, non-Israelite people. They refused to let any of the Edomites or whatever, the Sepharvaim who were already there, the Sephardic Jews were already there. They would not even allow them to assist in the rebuilding of the streets, walls, and uh, and temple. That's how racist, (laughs) racist, segregationist they were. Okay? And this is not a, a trait shown by Jews. They, they have their own way of being separate from other people, but it's certainly not by race. It's only by their religion. So, he continues, French Afrikaners of Reuben. Many French Huguenots have also immigrated to South Africa and have become a part of the Afrikaners. Many of the most common Afrikaner surnames are thus Huguenot names, such as Crogne, Joubert, de Clerc, Milan, Malan, Nell, Duplessis, Terre Blanche, Theron, oh, Charlize Theron, Trader, Dutrois, Viljoen, etc. The French are of the tribe of Ruben, and I think all of us agree on that. See Origin of France and its peoples other articles here at com The Afrikaner or French Huguenot elements are therefore of Ruben. Okay. No, I have no argument with what he says there. And, okay, above the flag of the Republic of South Africa, 1961 to 1994. Now, remember, the first one was red, white, and blue. And the Republic of South Africa has, it's not exactly orange. It's not exactly yellow. (laughs) Uh, When... When Pastor Martins and I got down there and he showed me the wrong flag, I said, "Well, that's not yellow, that's saffron okay <laughs> that's saffron because it reminded me of the robes of the Hindu yogis and, and the uh, Buddhist yogis that's what that's what the color reminded me of and oh by the way, uh, there were a lot of Indians in South Africa too from that country, right? India. And so this this flag has a saffron on the top, a white stripe in the middle, which shows the British, I assume, I don't know what that was the middle. It looks like the American flag, but it's stripes, no stars. And then it's got the Boer flag on the right. So it's a combination of all these. So it's showing that the Boer people have been integrated into this fake union of South Africa. And the bottom stripe is bright blue. Dark blue, I should say. Okay, and that's from the flag of the Republic of South Africa, 1961 to 1994. Next heading, the English-speaking white South Africans of Ephraim. The British are primarily of the tribe of Ephraim, the approximate 2 million English-speaking white people of Southern Africa of British descent, Or Anglo-Africans are therefore primarily of the tribe of Ephraim. But there's also a lot of Saxon blood in there, too, because the Anglo-Saxons invaded Britain and gave England its name, right? The England, Engle, Engleland. A part of Jacob's blessing to Joseph, Ephraim's father, was, quote, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall, Genesis forty nine twenty two. okay? And I have always interpreted this as a prophecy of America because a well is fresh water and America has the five great lakes which contain one-fifth of the world's fresh water. I don't think there's a, any body of fresh water to compare anywhere else in the world. I don't know about large bodies of water in South Africa, there might be a few small lakes down there. But let's continue. This promise is fulfilled in the fact that the British have spread out all over the world to Southern Africa, North America, Australia, New Zealand, and elsewhere like a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall. And certainly that applies to Joseph and his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay. So that, that Joseph... Uh, through both Ephraim and Manasseh, eventually wound up dwelling here in America. The land beyond the rivers of Cush. Now, I think this is primarily talking about South Africa. The Bible speaks prophetically about Israelites in a land beyond the rivers of Cush. In Zephaniah 3 and Isaiah 18, the original word used in the Hebrew text is Cush slash Cush. First with a K, then with a C. But in some Bibles, it is translated Ethiopia and Nubia. By the way, the word Ethiopia means sunburnt faces, Nubia means black. Okay, so yeah, the Israelites did sail down, sail up southward the Nile, and founded other kingdoms along the Nile, and those were white kingdoms. In fact, Moses even was the king of Ethiopia for a while. For a number of years, I think almost 40 years. But he refused to marry the Canaanite woman who was the queen because that would be race mixing. So he refused to consummate the marriage that was arranged between him and her by Pharaoh. And she got tired of waiting (laughs) and said, Moses, either you consummate the marriage Or I will rebel against you, which is what happened. Okay? That's in the book of Jasher. So let's read Zephaniah here with about five minutes left. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day you will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from this city those who rejoice in their pride. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill." but I will leave within you the meek and humble who trust in the name of Yahweh. Again, that's Zephaniah three ten through 12, NIV. And of course, the Boer people have never lost their knowledge of the name of Yahweh. And there's a map of the kingdom of Cush, 5th century BC. Cush is just another word. Well, the Cushites already lived there. And so you had white blood because Cush is the son of Ham already lived there. There's the Indian Cush, there's the Arabian Cush, and there's the African Cush. Those people are all descendants of Ham, and they were white. The kingdom of Cush was an ancient kingdom south of Egypt, centered on the confluences of the Blue Nile, the White Nile, and the Alt, or Atbara River. The kingdom of Cush was established 1070 B.C. and disestablished 300 A.D. Zephaniah and Isaiah prophesied from the kingdom of Judah. When they stood in the kingdom of Judah and looked in the direction of the rivers of Cush, then beyond the rivers of Cush were the Congo and the southern Africa, including what today is Zimbabwe as well as South Africa. The people which will be beyond the rivers of Cush and trust in the name of Yahweh are therefore a part of the white people of southern Africa, and they are not the Falashas of Ethiopia." Zephaniah's prophecy also fits the present situation in South Africa, which has become very bad for whites since 1994. The crime rates per inhabitant for violent crimes such as murder and rape in South Africa are among the highest in the world. More than 3,600 white farmers and their family members have been murdered in farm attacks since 1987. Not sure of the date of this article. It's got to be a lot, lot more than that now. The ANC government has made racial employment laws, black economic Empowerment, which bar whites from large parts of the job market. Many white South Africans had become so poor that in 2008, more than 600,000 Afrikaners lived in squatter camps. One million white South Africans have emigrated since 1994. Many fear that South Africa will follow Zimbabwe's example and completely drive out the whites. Many even call it genocide. Let's call it what it is. Despite the grave situation the white peoples of southern Africa are in, God will protect the remnant which put their trust in Him. And as Pastor Martins and I have done several shows about the fact that the uh, Boer prophet, Van Rensburg, says that one day Germany will reawaken and protect the Boer people. We talked about uh, that at the last episode that Pastor Martins was with us. And uh, so we're seeing there's a whole lot of prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Again, the idea that a remnant of Israel will survive, as it always has, we cannot anticipate any less of that uh, prophecy to be fulfilled at the judgment day. Because the vast majority of our people have joined or made Company with the Cape Dutch Afrikaners, with the International Jew, with the Judeo Christian churches, with Mammon, that is the Babylonian money system that rules the world, and a lot of our people are simply on the other side. They're on the wrong side. Are they going to be saved as they claim to be? Are they going to be raptured? Yeah, they're in denial. <laughs> They definitely are in denial, and they will remain in denial because all those who believe in the rapture have been vaxxed and are dying off. That's their rapture, folks. That's their rapture. It's not going to get any better. Yeah, uh, very, very good wordplay in the chat room. (laughs) Good job, guys. All right. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, the swa... Swamp Fox puts in a link to the triple helix, which is an attempt by biologists to insert another strand of DNA into our bodies. You know that it's all about what's the tree of life. The tree of life is our DNA, and they want to destroy our DNA. Yes, the rupture. The rapture rupture is in full progress, folks. It's called COVID-19. Somebody needs to keep statistics on how many Rapture believers have died from COVID. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.